big burly men beating their chest. Sometimes it's tough women beating their tits. Radio Drone. On this Thursday night, I, Josh Hadley, am the best of the best. But my co-host, Cecil T., might be the best of the best of the best of the best. I am the worst of the best. That's very true. Peter, I don't know, he's definitely not the best of the best. I, I, I think he's he's Gina Gershon in part three. Hey, she was an awesome character. You shut your mouth. For this if I haven't laid the groundwork well enough, this best of the best retrospective, we have the man I like to torture with all of these weird retrospectives, Mike White joining us as well. I am the Chris Penn of this podcast. Oh, shit, that means you get killed in part two, then. (laughs) Jeez, spoiler, people. The trailer, it's the first line of the trailer. Did you kill (laughs) Travis Brickley? Before that, I do need to tell people, go go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get 10 free gifts you'll get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about the best of the best franchise, and we will ultimately decide what best of the best is the best of the best. This is a franchise that I don't think a lot of people remember is a franchise. Two theatrical films, both which bombed hard, and then two direct-to-video films that are barely connected to the first two. Before we get into each individual film, what did you think of the franchise as a whole? I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun last weekend watching all four of those films. I, I like the franchise as a whole because each movie, you're getting almost a different like subgenre of action. You know, it's it's they all kind of varied from, uh, you know, it was it was revenge. It was well, I mean, the you know, it went from like kind of a, a kung fu karate kid kind of movie to a little bit more of an underground fight club to like uh, revenge to, uh, you know, just more straight up action. So uh, crime thriller, it uh, it really ran the gamut and uh, it, it kind of made it like interesting to watch each one to see which way they were going to go with it. Just like Cecil said, it's awesome how each one is a different subgenre, and it honestly does it surprisingly well. Like, the first movie is a genuinely good tournament fighter movie. The second one is, like, a great blood sport exploitation-y kind of thing. Third one's got this... It almost reminds me of the movie Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth. Like, it has a, just a great action exploitation kind of vibe. And then the fourth one is, like, a crime thriller, and they all do it really well. I, I enjoyed the hell out of the whole series. Well, let's go back to 1989 and start with the first one. Best of the Best, directed by Robert Radler, a director who, I don't know, even though he did this after the Best of the Best movies, he's mainly known as a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers director. He's directed almost 40 episodes of various Power Rangers series. So I guess the Best of the Best films primed him for all the goofy fighting. I saw the first Best of the Best film kind of as the bad news bears of Taekwondo, really. Because if you think about it, you've got the coach who's trying to redeem himself. 
You have the veteran who screwed up in the past and is looking for redemption. You've got the newcomer who is all arrogant and thinks he's undefeatable. You have the, the smartass. This is the bad news bears for, for Taekwondo. I was really surprised by the quality of the stars that are in this. Louise Fletcher showing up as his either his mom or his mother-in-law. And, of course, James Earl Jones as the coach. I was like... What? I'd never heard of this movie before you had asked me to take a look at these these films. And to see these two people in here, I was like, okay. And then Chris Penn showing up, it's like, what what what, what is happening here? And uh, of course, Eric <laughs> Roberts, just amazing. And his mullet is just fantastic. His mullet is uh, glorious. I have to say that it's, oh, God, yeah. I have to say I got him mixed up a little bit with one of the other guys, the... Um, Oh, God, now I'm going to blank on his name. Sonny? Not Virgil. Sonny. I got to mix up with Sonny. Like, when Sonny's working on the cars in Detroit, I was just like, oh, yeah, there's Eric Roberts. And I was like, no, no, that's not Eric Roberts. That's another guy. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was nice. It was a really good uh, team dynamic. And I was very surprised by some of the the places that this seemed to go to, especially that making South Korea the bad guys was pretty interesting. Well, and you, you mentioned the cast. Outside of the ones you already mentioned, okay, we got Eric Roberts, James Earl Jones, Sally Kirkland. You've got Chris Penn, John Dye, Tom Everett, Louise Fletcher, Simon Reed. You got Kane Hodder as a mullet-wearing thug in a bar. This thing's got a just a cast that you go, what the hell? The first best of the best is great. It is. It, it definitely was inspired. I mean, it had to have been influenced by Karate Kid. I don't know all the history behind it but it just feels like it is a much grander scale because it's really focusing on on more of the team as opposed to just one person and the the stuff that they go through is really good and then finally like the last half hour when they're doing all the fights it's just freaking awesome the fight sequences and the choreography and everything that they did for the the tournament and all that stuff was just it was really freaking good i i thoroughly enjoyed it it's like a genuinely good movie like mike said the cast in it is just ridiculous like this is not like a little no budget piece of crap movie this was a genuinely like theatrically released good movie well and you mentioned that the, the fighting in the tournament one of the interesting things is they don't win that kind of threw me because you you assume you know the underdogs are going to come from behind and get victory they don't win did that take you by surprise at all Big time, because that's from, you know, the, the thing where, oh, you know, the heroes are going to win. And then you're like, oh, well, they're not the best of the best, I guess. And it kind of <laughs> it, it, it was good. It made it it made it more real. It's like, OK, well, sometimes they don't win. Yeah, it was almost I like was... Rocky in a way where Rocky doesn't actually win at the end. I was really surprised that Tommy Lee was the last fighter. I thought for sure that this was Eric Roberts' film, even though it's this team dynamic and everything. And they spend a lot of time with Eric Roberts, a lot of time with Tommy Lee. But really, it's like Eric Roberts is, you know, the nice guy and Chris Penn is this douchebag and stuff. And so I thought there'd be a lot more with those guys. And then when the Philip Reed character, Tommy Lee, ends up being the final fighter, I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of really Tommy Lee's story. And he's the guy with the big conflict. I know that, you know, Eric Roberts had the bad shoulder and the convenient 
car accident with his kid that takes him out of the competition for a little bit and all the conflict that comes around that. But really, it ends up becoming the Tommy Lee story right at the very end, which is funny considering the way that this whole franchise goes over the next three films. I loved that Eric Roberts had the most majestic mullet I have ever seen. But besides mullets, uh, as um, as Mike and Cecil have said, it really is a genuinely good film. Like, it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like some crappy knockoff. There are some karate kid elements, but it really does stand on its own as its own tournament fighter film. There's a lot of really great story elements to it. The cast is just fantastic. Like, the people you wouldn't even expect to be in a movie like that. Like before I watched the best of the best films, I had never expected to see Eric Roberts as a mullet sporting martial artist or Chris Penn as like also, you know, a martial artist in his own right, more of the cocky variety. It was just, it was awesome. It kicked ass. You guys pointed out that it's a genuinely good film and I'm not disagreeing. Audiences in 1989 did. And so did critics. Critics lambasted the film and the film only made 1.7 1.7 million dollars of its six and a half million dollar budget so the film was a bomb with critics and a bomb at the box office so despite the fact that we all liked it it was not seen very promisingly in 89 i hate this world i hear that eric <laughs> roberts is actually very much into martial arts in real life which i never really would have pegged him for that Th- that is one thing in this one and the second one you can see it's eric roberts doing most of the stunts that's not mm. a stunt double, so he is wicked in shape in these movies. Yeah, he is. So yeah, this bombed at the box office quite hard. It, it took until 1993 for them to make the sequel, simply titled Best of the Best 2. Also bombed at the box office, making $6 million of its $10 million budget. Still, it it made $6 million, but it cost more. I like the second film the best. And he, here, here's the thing that, here's the big thing about Best of the Best 2 in the critics. Eric Roberts specifically knew that Leonard Maltin tore the first film to shreds. He actually met Leonard Maltin at the premiere and said, this one makes up for the first one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what Leonard Maltin's review was, but I, I think that says that Eric Roberts was rather proud of Best of the Best 2. What did you think mm-hmm. about this one? I liked it. I don't know if I consider this one the best one for me, but it, it definitely was the most traditional action film i guess um i really like again that kind of tommy lee is really taking the stage in this one especially when he is fighting through all of these different guys near the end of the film chris penn being such an asshole in the first movie and kind of a <laughs> unredemptive asshole yeah, like he's still he never... an asshole in this movie yeah too. and so i'm kind of glad when he gets killed um but <laughs> the thing that i was really surprised about was wayne newton just being such an amazing sleazeball i mean of course i'm a huge fan of the adventures of ward fairlane so i know this guy's range but seeing him in this oh he was so great and i also have to say I imagine that director Robert Radler must be friends with Eddie Bunker because this is the only time I've seen Eddie Bunker show up more than once. And and to see him, it's as two different characters, uh, worlds apart, you know, Las Vegas and Detroit to see him show up again in this one. I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of nice. I guess maybe like um, Eddie and, and Kane Hodder and, you know, he's got like his regulars or something. 
Yeah, because Kane Hodder shows up in this one, too. He's the door guard that Eric Roberts stabs through the hand with a pen. But then this this one also has a cast that just, you go, what the hell? So you've got yeah. Eric Roberts, Chris Penn, and Philip Ree all returning. And then you've got Ralph Mueller, Meg Foster, Wayne Newton, Sonny Landa, and Simon Ree has a very small role as Dehan from the first film again. You go, what the hell is with these casts? How do they get the casts for these things? This was one that uh, I saw way back in the early 90s, and I remember liking it, but uh, I haven't seen it since, so I don't really like have a lot to say about it. I just remember that I liked it, and I thought it was cool. And um, I remember the whole like kind of fight club angle to it, but not much else. Well, because in, in this one, the first film was more like, like I said, the bad news bears for Taekwondo. This is more of a straight out action movie. In fact, I was surprised that this one was theatrical because when you watch it, it has a very early 90s DTV feel to it. And I mean that in a good way. Now, in this one, you're in underground pit fighting that results in death and you've got hitmen and a conspiracy. And this one is much more of a straight out action movie than the first one was. I thought part two, um, while part one was a really solid film, I found part two to be a lot more entertaining. If you want to see what Sonny Landham is like, according to a lot of actors that have worked with him, he's pretty much just playing that. In fact, I'm just going to venture a guess that he was really that drunk and really puking on screen. That was uh, incredibly entertaining and hilarious. And uh, Ralph Mueller made for just such a good, not Schwarzenegger villain. Overall, the action is great. The pacing is awesome. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that uh, the mullet didn't make a return. But uh, yeah, Eric Roberts right, has short was, hair in this one. Yeah, that's kind of uh, it was so beautiful. But um, yeah, the second one is is really entertaining. It's it's a solid solid action film, and I really loved it. I love the um, I love the score by Michael David Frank. That's almost exactly like his score from Hard to Kill. There's a couple of things with this one that I find really strange. One. They say in the credits, introducing Ralph Mueller. He'd been in three films and a TV series before this, so I don't know where they get off introducing Ralph Mueller to us. Then there's also the fact that Meg Foster is Eric Roberts' girlfriend in this, and she never betrays them. Why yeah. do you cast Meg Foster and you don't have her betray somebody at some point? Isn't that like casting Malcolm McDowell as a good guy? It just goes against yeah. type, doesn't it? Yeah, Meg Foster is, she really comes off as, and, and I don't mean it as like an insult towards her or anything, but she's just a very cold looking person. Like those, those piercing blue eyes and just, just the general, ah, she just, she comes across as somebody who will stab you in the back. And it's, it's so weird to see her playing a, well, a perfectly decent wife. She, she's pretty much playing the same role that she played in Relentless. And even in that one, like, it's just, it's weird. You're expecting her to team up with the serial killer. No, it makes no sense at all. And then just, she, sometimes I forget she's even in the movie. You know, she just kind of oh, shows yeah. up almost randomly. It was like, oh, oh, she's back. Okay. And and every time she did show up, I kept waiting for her to be like, you know, in Brackus's arms or something and be like, ha ha ha, we have fooled you. But yeah, no, so. <laughs> Well, and then there's also the fact of some of the story elements in this one. This is something you're going to see in the next two films as well, that a lot of these don't seem to be made like they're made as a franchise. Because in this one, all of a sudden, Tommy Lee has a different history. In the first film we saw, he had an Asian mother, an Asian father, because he's Chinese, and an Asian brother that Dehan killed in the ring. 
Now we mm-hmm. find out his parents died at an early age and he was raised by Sonny Landham's family. So his adopted parents in this are American Indian. Okay. Well, he does say, don't ask. Right. But then they're going to go contradict that in the, in the next film though, as well. So that's why it's like, these don't seem to be like they were made with any real continuity in mind. And technically at the end of this one, Tommy Lee gets the Coliseum. He owns that multi-million dollar underground pit fighting business when he kills Ralph Mueller. Even though I would think there'd be a police investigation considering he just killed a man in front of a hundred witnesses in an underground illegal act. And I'm sure the IRS would be interested in the money the Coliseum makes, or am I just overthinking an action movie? You're overthinking an action movie. This film, it failed at the box office and with critics again. So, oh, man. So all of a sudden, that then it took until 1995 where Philip Ree took the reins. Philip Ree co-wrote the first film, he produced the second film, and then for three and four, he both wrote and directed. For this third one, this one wasn't even originally a best of the best film. He found a script he liked called No Turning Back about a black marine that comes back to a southern town and finds it's taken over with neo-Nazis. He bought that script and rewrote it as a best of the best film. So that's why there's no mention of Alex, Eric Roberts' character anymore. There's no mention of any of the other characters. Tommy Lee now is the only character from the other movies that will continue on in this franchise. But in this one, we've got neo-Nazis taking over a small southern town. And again, a cast that you go, what? You got Philip Ree, Christopher McDonald, Gina Gershon, D. Wallace Stone, Mark Ralston, Arlie Ermey as a neo-Nazi leader, Kane Hodder again, this time as a machine gun-wielding neo-Nazi. How do these films keep getting these casts? Christ! Well, granted, D. Wallace, I think she only shows up for, what, one scene? She has three scenes and two three locations. She, okay. she has two scenes at the trailer and one in the diner. I only really remembered her in the the trailer, and I was just like, is she going to come back? But I have to say that they say Tommy Lee's name so many times in this film, and every time they did, I would have to pause and think, okay, that's the that's the Asian guy. That's not the drummer from Molly <laughs> Crew. So right. that's not the guy that beat up Pamela Anderson. And it was weird because he doesn't even show up until, what, like 20 minutes into the film? Like, I think I even paused it when he finally shows up. I was like, oh, he's in this. Okay. Because you have this whole thing of these kids going on this bus to the school and they're going to sing. And there's this uh, black preacher. preacher. Yeah. There's there's this black preacher who's who's getting killed by these neo-Nazis. And I'm just, okay, I'm enjoying this film. And then Tommy Lee shows up and I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, all right. He, this guy's in it. That's right. It's a best and, of the uh, best film. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy okay, Lee let's... showing up in his best Cobra impression. <laughs> and I have to say, it really, once he got there, it really worked for me. I uh, totally enjoyed this one. I especially like the you know little small town touches, him uh, being the clown at the dunk tank and everything. And there is so much action in this one that he is beating mm-hmm. up people constantly. And I did appreciate that. Well, and you, you mentioned the clown. He, he's in full clown makeup, the nose, the giant floppy shoes, and beating the crap out of neo-Nazis that are harassing Gina Gershon at the city, yes. fair, at the county fair. It's a glorious scene for how ridiculous it is, and they play it. They <laughs> never play it tongue-in-cheek, do they? They play it 100% straight. Hell's you want yes. to talk about 
a weird playing against type too. You know, we talked about Meg Foster not betraying anybody. Christopher McDonald's a good guy. Yeah, so nice. I kept waiting for him to like turn into an asshole at some point. But I kept, no. Yeah, I kept thinking the sheriff was going to be in on um, with the neo Nazis or with Arlie Ermey or something, and it's like, no, he's just a straight out good guy. Yeah, oh man, really, same really here. nice like, guy. How is uh, how is Shooter McGavin not a bad guy? Exactly. Three is definitely my favorite of the bunch. I I just had really enjoyed this movie. Going back and watching it again, I enjoyed it just as much as I remembered. And uh, like Mike said, the the freaking the scene where he's beating the crap out of the Nazis in the in the clown outfit is hilarious. He he for some reason the the youngest uh, the youngest kid the new uh, neo Nazi he all of a sudden is like a badass. Like he's the one that has the knife and he's the one that that keeps coming back to, to fight him. And and he he keeps kind of winding, uh, you know, he's the one that sees the, the really bad neo-Nazi kill Arlie Ermey. And uh, but then he doesn't say anything. And so you keep thinking that he's maybe going to like, all right, Switch maybe sides. he's going to finally realize now he just keeps staying bad the whole time. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just an ass, you know. Ar- Arlie Ermey was was freaking fantastic because it, oh, it was yeah. so hearing him, you know, and we will drive out, you know, just that freaking voice of his uh, just being the a, a Sergeant a, Hartman voice. Right, oh, yeah. right. Being a freaking, you know, uh, neo-Nazi leader. And then he ends up being like the sympathetic <laughs> neo-Nazi leader. He's like, well, he's he's bad, but at least he's not as bad as these guys. Yeah, because you know? he, he, he wanted just separate he wanted there were the mud people to live in their own area and the whites to live here mark roston wanted to kill the mud people and wanted to create a race war so yeah it's it's hard to say but arlie ermey was the sympathetic neo-nazi sympathetic (laughs) neo-nazi i i kind of the only thing that kind of got me a little bit was they showed uh, the the neo-Nazis getting all this like high-tech military-grade equipment. They had a freaking minigun. and had a I was rocket re- launcher. They had a rocket launcher. I really was expecting something with that where they just use the the rocket launcher on the on one of the buildings or blow or or uh, the minigun on like the the main uh, you know neo-nazi compound or something and it really like it all just kind of went into him beating the crap out of people and usually they did if he was shooting launcher, they did use the rocket launcher to try and blow up gina gershon in the school bus she avoided the rocket launcher in the coolest way possible the driver's side window of the school bus had been shot out, and the rocket launcher—the oh. rocket went straight <laughs> went through, through it, and she opened the door, and it goes <laughs> and hits the building behind her. Oh man, that made me laugh my ass off. And oh, it's so that's good, real. so good. And Gina Gershon too. I like the fact that she was not like a pushover character, like the the mm. freaking gigantic neo-Nazi came. The one that's trying to and, rape like, her. It was trying to rape her and she's hitting him with a frying pan and like smashing him over the head with vases. Like she, she was not just going to be like, ah, and fell back. And, you know, like, no, she like fought back and she was doing, you know, if, if there were less guys there, she might've done a little bit better, but you know, she was awesome. awesome. And then Tommy showed up and, and, you know, beat the crap out of everybody. And, (laughs) you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. It's got great action sequences. I thought uh, Philip Rees directing, I thought was was genuinely solid. I, he he knew how to shoot an action scene. He knew how to keep the movie progressing forward. I also like the fact that the first twenty minutes or so was 
total character development. It was setting everything up. It's like, okay, this is what's going on. We're seeing all this stuff. You know, Tommy comes into play. Like Mike pointed out, Tommy Lee doesn't even show up till almost 20 minutes in. Yeah, he doesn't show up for quite a while. And then, you know, he kind of shows up and we kind of he's the character that if you've seen the previous movies, you already do know a little bit about him. So he doesn't need as much of an introduction. So well, I don't know. They changed his backstory yet again for this one. Now, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. he has an Asian sister now, which he oh, didn't true. have in the second one. No, he did hey, not. He said, well, he could have. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, still, they, don't they, ask is a, is a very broad term, Mike. Don't ask, That's don't tell. That it was, uh, he only visited once know in a while. It was just taken from another script. Yeah, this was obvious that it was taken from a pre-existing script that was not a best of the mm-hmm. best film. I'm going to say that one is, to me, the best of the best of the best. I love this one. I love the neo-Nazi angle. I love how it starts out with actual solid character development. And it's like it starts out as like a totally serious movie. And then Tommy Lee struts into town looking like Stallone from Cobra. And he's just kicking all kinds of ass. And Gina Gershon was awesome. And Drake from Aliens was great. And I loved Arlie Ermey, how he he does have kind of a character change where he seems like he's, you know, very much the, you know, the Adolf Hitler, the front runner. And then he's kind of the one that doesn't really want violence. You know, he, he it's, it's still pretty bad what he wants. He wants separation of races, but he doesn't want to actually hurt anybody. So that was a nice little twist that you know he was kind of a a false villain overall i loved this one it was it really had an awesome pace to it the finale the with you know the knife fight between tommy lee and the main you know the drake i, I keep forgetting his character's name but you you guys know which one i'm talking about that, the actor that fight at the end, yeah that's a fight where everybody's like surrounding them and they're having the knife fight that was that kicked so much ass and uh in in case my phone dies at any second i'm just gonna say that i I thought the fourth one was really weak overall. And you got Kane Hodder showing up again, this time getting shot by yeah. Christopher McDonald on a school bus. And again, he was doing something pretty cool here. Yeah, like in the first one, he's the he's the mulleted biker. In the second one, he's the banana yellow uh, blazer wearing doorman. And in this one, he's on top of a school bus shooting a machine gun. So, yeah, they got Jason Voorhees doing some pretty cool stuff in these movies. Right after... She shot this. I mean, literally a week later, Gina Gershon went on to start shooting Showgirls. She has talked Mm. about her pre-fame, her pre-Showgirls career in not the best light. Yeah. I don't think she was phoning this in. She looked like she was genuinely trying here. She was really good in Best of the Best 3. I honestly thought she, um, I would say she was one of my favorite parts of the movie. I thought her character was great. She really had awesome chemistry with the Tommy Lee character. And she was um, like, if there, if we have any feminists that listen to the show, watch this movie for Gina Gershon's character. You'll be surprised as to, as to what kind of women are in these types of movies. It's not just big burly men beating their chests. Sometimes it's tough women beating their tits. Yeah. And it's funny that she would put down some of the movies that she made pre Showgirls. I mean, because you know, there's just a handful of movies that she made since then where she didn't feel like she was phoning it in for me. So it was nice to see her in this where I still considered her trying, you know, so that mm-hmm. it was nice to really see her in this. And, you know, yeah, she's got a lot of passion. It's interesting the way her character changes and that, you know, she's kind of mean to Tommy Lee at one point. And, you know, then we have the nice falling in love montage and everything. So, you know, it it all works out in the end, but she is a very dynamic female character, which I appreciate it. 
this film was a moderate success on success on video. Then, doing the same thing that, that he did for Part 3, Philip Ree would also write and direct Best of the Best 4 without warning. Again, from a pre-existing script that he just rewrote to include Tommy Lee. Again, they've changed his backstory. Now he has a daughter and a dead wife. <laughs> so, and, and, and the reason I say that, that he couldn't have had the daughter afterwards, the daughter's sixth birthday is coming up here. Well, the daughter did not exist in the last film, which was only four years earlier. So they've changed his backstory yet again. But this time, Tommy Lee is fighting the Russian mob who are trying to, I guess, counterfeit is the wrong word. They're trying to illegally print real American currency. And again, we've got a cast. We've got Philip Ree, Ernie Hudson, Tobin Bell. You got you got Art LaFleur. You got Sven Ole Thorson. Another fantastic cast for a late 90s direct-to-video film. I, I do agree with Peter. This is the weakest of the four. I'll say that. What did you think of Without Warning? Oh, I don't know. I found this one to be kind of a tough sit. It didn't have the flair that the first three had. I just, the whole time, it felt like a really generic 90s film. It just had, it reeked of everything that annoyed me about the 90s just uh, everybody either came across like they were from a backstreet boys or a spice girls music video just with the shiny clothing and just the over enunciated way of, of delivering lines and just everything just felt so smug and overly overly lit with that very um like uh what is it the you know the soap opera like it had a very soap opera look to it and and the action felt kind of stagnant um it was cool to see tobin bell uh pre jigsaw and i love sven ole thorson but other than that i don't know this one was kind of a tough sit and it just made me want to go back and watch you know three or two you seem to have forgotten uh leprechaun fours jessica collins was also in this movie which one was she again <laughs> uh she was karina the the blonde Oh, the, the 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 completely ineffectual Russian mob hit woman that could not do a damn thing right. You are correct. <laughs> she was still in it, and well, she's oh, on the cover and, too. Oh, oh, and and also the principal from the Breakfast Club is a priest. All right, <laughs> that's right. Best of the best four. I I was really bummed. Um, I didn't. It's not a, a terrible movie, but the thing was, I was faking sick one day from work i was home and normally if i'm home and i'm not i you know this is pre pre baby and everything i i would just sit and just watch netflix movies all day surprise the both of these were streaming and so i was like all right well i watched three and three was amazing and so i was like oh well four is also done by philip ree and there's russian mobsters this is gonna be great and then i watched it and it was just okay like it didn't yeah. have the same energy that the previous one did and it just it, it just didn't flow as well it was a lot of like downtime and it wasn't so, like i like i don't mind when an action movie has like a story that goes along but it was just like the story with this wasn't really all that interesting so when there was the downtime it was kind of like you're just sitting there waiting for the next action scene it uh it, i mean it was a cool cast and it was neat to see that this kind of continued on with with, uh, you know, Philip Ree's character. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's definitely the the weakest of the four and kind of sad that the franchise ended here. I'm a little weird on this one for for Sven. He seems like he's having a lot of fun, but he also kind of seems like like 
you know, after Mallrats and all this, he kind of seems like he didn't want to be in this movie. But then he's so almost over the top. Yeah, I wish I had talked to him about this one. And I was supposed to talk to him again yesterday, but then he ended up saying he was going out of town. So I would have asked him about this film. It's always great to see him show up. No matter what he's in, I always enjoy seeing him. He's usually, you know, in the background. So I was really glad to see him in this so prominently. And I thought for sure, like, his boss was going to take him out way earlier and um, that he wouldn't have the glorious death that he has in this film. So I was, uh, that made up for a lot of things. Um, But yeah, kind of going along with what the guys have said, I, yeah, I'm not really feeling it that much. I kind of wish Tobin Bell, for some reason, has a little bit of a um, uh, a Mark Rolston look to me. So I was kind of hoping that he would do like a, a, a simple Simon from Die Hard 3 and be like the brother of the bad guy from the previous film, you know, and come mm-hmm. back and, and, you know, he would be the um, the the Simon Gruber character. Unfortunately, but, yeah, unfortunately, they settled him. Unfortunately, in this one, they settled him with the psychopathic Punisher Warzone kind of brother that you've got the controlled brother that's running everything. And then he has total blinders on to what an idiotic psychopath his brother is, which I think is yeah, a shade dynamic. Yeah, Face yeah. Off did the same thing with uh, you know Nicholas Cage's doofus of a brother. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, like that. Yeah, Castor and Pollux. Yeah, Lockout did the same thing. And mm-hmm. it, it just, uh, I, I find that to be just a really cliched, cliched character development that, that they go with. And I don't know, saddling Tommy Lee with a daughter now, even though it's again changing the history, I thought was kind of a mistake. Because the movie at certain points is flowing along nicely, and then they have to do the, of course, the mob finds out about his daughter and his daughter is in danger, cliched subplot. And uh, I don't know. This one didn't sit right with me either. This one is the yeah. weakest of the four. I don't know. I just, this one I didn't enjoy as much. It had, it had another great cast. Ernie Hudson doing his best. I think I'm Captain Cisco and not quite <laughs> pulling it off. And, and also, it was cliched as hell. It was so mm-hmm. obvious when, when What's Her Face from Southland Tales said that the cops are involved in this and then Tommy Lee's friend is the good cop that's trying to get to the bottom of it right away you go he's the traitor and then yeah. when he betrays Tommy Lee you're like yes that was such an anticlimactic surprise it yeah. was it was so anticlimactic cuz it happened so early on like they should have at least milked it a little bit but no it just you could tell it was coming it was it was coming as as uh, quickly as you could tell that Meg Foster was going to end up betraying somebody but never did so why not you know milk it until 30 or 40 percent into the film really make the audience believe that the guy might actually be helping tommy lee and then have him tommy lee over i mean they they really they really missed the mark with that one and in a lot of ways i will say though tommy lee pulled a john mcclain in this one using nothing but a motorcycle he killed sven Oli thorson four henchmen a tanker truck three motorcycles and a helicopter all with a motorcycle i thought John McClane could not have blown that up even better than that. That was admittedly pretty goddamn awesome. But then I although, had to... although I was just going to say, in three, somehow Tommy Lee jumped up in the air and kicked three people in uh, driving motorcycles. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I that was that. awesome. <laughs> that was so awesome. I still I love like that was so awesome. Much. How did I, I that think, happen? You know, a foot on each one, and then maybe a fist in the middle. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's just 
that you know he's he, he could have killed Dayhan in the first film, but he didn't. He's that good. <laughs> I kind of wish like Art Lafleur and Paul Gleason had had a little bit more to do in this, especially Paul Gleason. I would have loved to have seen him, you know, in the Cheech Marin role from Machete or something, and just kind of help out Tommy. Uh, Tommy Lee with uh, you know some shotguns and stuff. He's I mean, he's a babysitter the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. And again, another guy who could betray. You know, you expect Paul Gleason to be an asshole in films, but you know, he, he ended up being a nice guy. This film didn't go so over so well with critics. I had a hard time finding positive review of Without Warning because people pointed out all of the same things we just did. Great cast, it's well-directed, but the story is cliched as hell. And there's some late 90s CG in this. There's a couple of explosions that you go, yes, they really blew up that thing. And then there are a couple more where you go, wow, that was a CG explosion. That orange helicopter near the beginning of the movie looked so bad. The, the one that was picking up the entire um, yeah that you could just the, tell the entire was like armored a little... car of it, it of looked dollars. like it looked like the um shark and jaws 3d it was like clipping toward you there the plot in this is a little bit weird okay they steal actual u.s currency software and they steal u.s paper so they can really print hundred dollar bills they have a giant mansion two helicopters a, a fleet of trucks an entire army of trained guys I don't think money was a problem. Why would you go to this plot other than the script called for it? I guess they spent all their money on the mansion, the copters, and the armed guards. They needed more. Yeah, when they showed their mansion and everything, I was like, now is this the guy who's above these two guys? But no, it seemed like this was the place. And I was like, wait a second, didn't I just see this in Big Hero 6 when the total slacker guy at the college ends up being like the multimillionaire and they show up at his mansion? This doesn't compute at all that these guys are desperate, and I put that in quotation marks, for money. It just seems like maybe counterfeiting is like a hobby for them or something. And they are so <laughs> well organized when it comes to the counterfeiting stuff, like having so many people, so many computer terminals, and a very efficient operation. Of course, you're not allowed to leave the building and stuff, so I'm wondering as far as like, do they call in for food? Do they have an on-site cafeteria? Do they have to sign like non-disclosure agreements? Yeah, you're well, overthinking yeah. it now. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. I guess I am. It's but, a bad '90s movie. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> well, I mean, there are a lot of movies that like you're like, yeah, that was great. Oh wait, that doesn't make sense. So when you do kind of take a step back, a lot of times they don't make sense. And this is one where it's like, eh, it was. It was a movie that was written to be another movie that was shoehorned into a franchise. It is, it's not going to really make a whole lot of sense. So I'm willing yeah. to kind of give it a, some leeway in that capacity. Do you want three know? was able to do it? Three was able to do it well. Four, not so much. Do you do you see the progression from you know theatrical to direct to video? Do you see that as what this franchise deserved? Or do you recommend this franchise, even with, you know, the complaints we've had about Without Warning, would you recommend this franchise as a whole to to people who may, maybe might not even remember that Best of the Best was a thing? Absolutely. I mean, because uh, each movie, even even the fourth one, like, it, it, it's still, I think, worth checking out. I mean, definitely the first three I would recommend to people. Because they are mm -hmm. all good in their own ways. They're seriously like they're three 
damn good movies. So I would not have a problem. Yeah, three damn good movies and one okay movie. So I would not have a problem, you know, recommending that, you know, to anybody who likes action movies. Hell yeah, I would. I thought it was a blast. I love the first three. While the fourth one may have been weak, I still say check it out if, you know, you're a completist. Um, all of them have uh, their own elements that are fun to watch. Uh, even the fourth one, it's it's not so great. Uh, it's it's lacking in a lot of ways, but it still has some cool action here and there. The first three, of course, solid. So, yeah, I, I definitely think people should check this uh, series out. I think it's I think it's uh, kind of a hidden gem and uh, people should definitely rediscover it and, and check it out. I think I'd heard of Best of the Best, the first film, but that was it. Heard of it and never saw it. So it was completely unfamiliar. And it was what, like a month ago, you're telling me about this and talking about how great, you know, oh, my God. And then freaking uh, Wayne Newton shows up and I was just like, OK, sold. I'll watch it, whatever. <laughs> I would totally recommend this to anybody. And yeah, I had a great time beginning to end. Um, yeah, there's some weak spots in four and everything, but really it's a pretty solid franchise, especially compared to other ones where you're going up and down with the quality left and right. And this one, it, it, it stays on a fairly even keel and they kind of mm. set your expectations as far as like, you're not going to get better and better and better as you go which i think is what makes three such a nice pleasant surprise is that it ends up being for me the best of the best of the best yeah it's one of those rare cases where the third movie actually ends up being well not in josh's case but in yours uh, cecil and mine where the third one's the best whereas if you look at a lot of film franchises it's usually by the third or fourth one that it starts to tank i mean Terminator 1 and 2. Terminator 3. Terminator 1 and 2. Awesome. Terminator 3 and Salvation and Genesis, Geneva Convention. I don't know. Shit. Whereas Best of the Best, the first three are great, and the fourth one, it's still pretty watchable, even if it's not so great. And see, I look at it as a lot of people don't even realize that there is a third and a fourth one. When I, when I started telling people we were doing this retrospective, they're like, of two films i'm like no there's three and four what i send them trailers and that and they're like there were sequels and then then they're going <laughs> gina gershon what the hell ernie hudson <laughs> when it came to three and four the general thing i got was i never even knew these existed and that's because these were not big hits on video they mm -hmm. were put out by a small dtv company these did not get the penetration that that two and that one and two did because Best of the Best one, I remember, when that came out in theaters, I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see the first film until HBO. But I remember my friends went out to see it, and this was an HBO staple. And then the second one I didn't see until video. They pushed the video for this one. I think it was Universal was the distributor. Best of the Best 2 was pushed hard on video. And then 3 and 4 just kind of were out there. So I think a lot of people are surprised that this is even a franchise. And Philip mm -hmm. Reed being the only one that is connected to all of them. Now, I, re I reached out to Philip Reed to try and get an interview for this episode. And the only reason he declined was he didn't have time. He's shooting a movie at the moment. But he, nice. did, let, he did let one little piece of information slip out. I don't know if he's going to be involved, but he said they, whoever they are, are looking at rebooting the best of the best franchise. Do you think this is a franchise that's better left... I mean, you know, the first film was 89, but we're just going to round up to 90. Better left in the 90s, or do you think this can work today? I would like to see Best of the Best 5, personally. I, I want to see Tommy really... Lee fight vampires. 
Yeah, I I'm fine with just keeping the Tommy Lee story. I don't necessarily need a reboot for this because it'll end up, you know, looking like a, a step up movie or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, and and maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll puss out and make the uh, the bad guys in the first one South Korean instead of North. Oh, okay, yeah. So no, I I. I wouldn't. I will definitely check out if they do uh, a reboot of this, but I would really like to see a part five, even if they just did a uh, best of the best colon so and so, because they're kind of doing that with three and four and giving us subtitles instead of numbers. But you know, I'm okay with that. Uh, a reboot could work. Uh, I, I'm. I would also rather them do a sequel. You know, continue with uh, with Philip Ree's adventures. Maybe now uh, his parents are alive, and uh, he has uh, three divorced wives and uh, two half American children, or something. And he's the president. And he's the president. You know, yeah, they can they can retcon his history again. I mean, why not? I, I would. I'd rather they kind of continue with that because more than likely, if they're going to reboot it. They'll probably go back to the first movie and they'll do the whole um, tournament angle. And eh, I, I don't really see that going over quite as well as that was, you know, the popular thing in the 80s. Uh, I just I don't know. I don't know if a, if a karate tournament is, is going to be that big of a deal anymore. I mean, right. we'll see. I mean, it's kind of cool that they're, you know even taking such a small franchise and bringing it back. But I guess when you look at the fact that they're bringing back just about everything as a, a reboot or remake or something or another, then it sh really shouldn't be that surprising. But uh, I mean, I would, I'd watch it. I mean, it would be cool if they did something like make Philip Ree one of the coaches or something or a trainer or, you know, have him involved in some capacity. I'd like that. Narrated by James Earl Jones. Nuts to a reboot. I want to see Tommy Lee in space. Yes. That's Fighting it. That's, vampires that's it. Vampires on the moon. Yes. Space and vampires. Julio. And no, Eric Roberts don't returns bring up as a side. Don't, don't bring up Dracula, Dracula 3000. No. Julio the vampire in, on, <laughs> in space. And they should bring back a bunch of the actors, but have them play different people. Like you got to have Eric Roberts as like a cyborg. Uh, Chris Penn is like the voice of a computer. Just oh, like. Can't do that. Yeah. Um, you do know Chris Penn's dead, right? Oh, shit, he is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really ago. keep up with uh, current events. Or maybe you could create a uh, Chris Penn in the computer, kind of like the you know older Arnold Schwarzenegger from this uh, new Terminator film. And then all of a sudden, Chris Penn's like, my brother always overshadowed me. No more. <laughs> Lawnmower Man 3. <laughs> Lawnmower Man 3, best of the best five. Yeah. And machine. <laughs> Best of the best five <laughs> Lawnmower Man 3 crossover. <laughs> you know I what? I would it. pay we to see sequel. that. I really would. All right. We've been dicking around. But what it comes down to is I think this is an overlooked franchise. The films, even the fourth one, are worth it. And so many people don't know about the sequels. And I think more people... More people should go and check out these movies. They're worth it. Three and four, I'll admit, are a little hard to find because they only were released on a double DVD set with one another that also had small distribution. So it's kind of hard to yeah. find. No turning back yeah, without warning. I had but some trouble tracking those down, yeah. You might have a little bit of trouble with those, but I think they're worth it. If nothing else, just the stellar casts and all these things, you need to see these movies and they don't deserve to be forgotten. Speaking of not deserving to be forgotten, Mike White, where would people go to not forget you? 
uh, don't you forget about me. No, 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 no. I'm over at projection-booth.com, and I swear my voice doesn't sound this bad all the time, but it has for the last little bit. He's been pretending he's Tom Waits for the last week. That's right. <laughs> Let me tell you about a time when there was this prostitute who came into a bar I was at in Minnesota. If we do want to forget Cecil T, where could we go there? You can forget about me all the time at goodbadflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And Cecil is way better than Chris Stuckman. There, I said it. Aww. And then, Peter, you Canadian, you Jason <laughs> yeah. Voorhees. You know what? You would probably go down on Kane Hodder. Where could people see that happen? Well, if you want to see the best of the best of Canada, you can find me on Twitter, <laughs> at Zinematica. You can find me on Facebook, The Cinemasochist. You can find me on YouTube, The Cinemasochist. And you can find me in an alley blowing Kane Hodder. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And go and buy a t-shirt or click on some links or buy something to stick up your butt and use the promo code DROME. And remember, <laughs> the best of the best is the best of the best, but your best of the best may differ from our best of the best. Just remember, best of the best. I can't believe I did that without screwing it up. Have a good night. <laughs>
Radio Drone is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.